Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. All right. Is this on? Are we good? You know, when Phil was talking about when Phil was talking about there's a better preacher than him who's more loving and more exciting, I got really excited for a second. <laughs> and then I realized it was about Jesus, and that's fine. I can, I can let that one go. Um, so like Phil said, my name is Jeff Varghese. I'm one of our community leaders here with Clarity, and I've been part of the Clarity family for almost three years now, uh, which is not a long time for most people, but considering how young our church is. I feel like it's a lot. Um, And I've had the opportunity to come up here before. So I don't feel like I'm a guest preacher. I'm just kind of an alternative to Phil. So um, I'm excited to be here. I always consider it a privilege to have the opportunity to speak. So we're just going to get right into it. Um, Just to recap a little bit, um, maybe you've been here, maybe you haven't. Over the last several weeks, we've been going through uh, the series, the Beatitudes series. And um, what you would know is that this is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so this is probably one of Jesus' most famous sermons that he's ever preached, that he's ever talked about in uh, scriptures. And so we've been looking at each of the Beatitudes and how they affect us. And so as I was reading through this passage in preparation for today, I finally decided to look up what the word beatitude meant. Uh, because, I mean, Phil maybe mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but if you're like me, you probably weren't paying attention, you forgot... <laughs> You missed it, um, or you never learned it before. And so um, I think sometimes when it comes to church words, we, like, we, we hear them, we, we start to use them, but we still don't know what they mean, and then we get embarrassed because we're like seven weeks into the series and we still don't know what this word means. So I'll just admit, until last week, I didn't know what it meant, so I figured I should learn about it and be able to tell you guys. So beatitude comes from a Latin word, beatus, meaning blessed or blessedness. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think that's earth-shattering information. I think you probably could have figured that out on your own if you just use context clues. And I think when Brian was here last week, he kind of shared the same thing um, a little bit. So you probably could have figured that out. So it doesn't really change much, but at least we can all say that we know what it means. Um, And so these Beatitudes are the blessings that God has given to the people who have put their faith in him. This is what the people who belong to the kingdom of heaven look like. And so we're going to start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go all the way through to the end of the New Testament. So if you have lunch plans, just make sure you cancel them right now. We're going to be here for a little bit. So we're just going to get started right away. Uh, So Matthew 5, we're just going to go to verse 10. Um, So Matthew 5, 1 through 10. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up 
on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they shall be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So last week we had Brian here, and he shared an awesome message, and he talked about verse 8, that God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And that brings us to this week, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that just seems pretty simple to me. Um, Jesus is just saying that as children of God, we should be known as peacemakers. And I don't really think that that's hard, because if you know me, I do that all the time. I mean, at home, if my wife, Megan and I, ever get into a disagreement, which like never happens at all, but if this rare unicorn of an opportunity happens, um, we once in a while, if that, if that ever comes up, we just work for peace right away. I mean, it's just not, it's just second nature for us. I mean, that's the highest priority is that our relationship is preserved. Um, because when I'm in the midst, in the heat of the moment, and if I know I'm right, it doesn't matter because I care about her feelings. That's, that's number one for me. I mean, that's the highest priority that I have. Um, when we're disagreeing about something, um, my priorities go like this. Number three, it's like facts and figures and objective information that support that I'm right. It's important, but it's really not that important. And then, probably a little bit more important than that is like my personal safety, if we're ever getting into an argument. I mean, that's pretty important, but what's most important, number one, is her feelings. That's always number one. That's always what's on my mind when we're fighting. Um, and I know that she just feels the exact same way about me, right? And so it just ends pretty quickly. We don't have to really worry about it. And so... We never would even think about fighting with one another. I've never fought with anyone before in my life. Um, I've never even heard of fighting. Am I pronouncing that right? Fighting? I don't know. I have, I've never heard of it. Um, and so, in essence, what I'm saying is that this verse is really good, and you should just be like me. So, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for making me awesome. All right, so hopefully your sarcasm meter was just screaming at you, um, hopefully you know that that's, that's not how it is. It's not how it is for me. It's probably not how it is for you. It's not how it is for anyone. It's not that simple. Um, it's not like us to be inclined towards making peace. That's just not in our nature. Naturally, um, we prioritize other things. We prioritize um, being right. For us, it's almost as though being right is the most important thing. And so um, I think what happens is that we don't think about saying sorry. It's not high on our priority list. And I think it's because we're afraid. We're afraid to admit that, um, well, we were afraid to compromise, I think, number one. And I think even worse than that, we're afraid to admit that potentially we were wrong. Because it's our pride on the line. And it's our reputation. And it's our credibility in front of people. And we've been trained to think that if we apologize or if we make the first move towards 
resolution or reconciliation, we lose our credibility because at some point we have to give in a little bit. And nobody wants to do that. I think it's funny that even people who follow God, even us as Christians, we place a greater priority on having the credibility of appearing right in front of people rather than the reputation of being peacemaking children of God. But what's the point of being right if we're alone? Somewhere along the way, I think uh, we were shown that it's okay to demand that we're right in order to establish our credibility because that's how you make it in this world. You've got to look out for number one. No one else is going to look out for you. You've got to dig in your heels. And that's how you get on top. That's how you make it in this world. And I don't think we we're ever encouraged to temper that mentality with the godly command to deny our rights and sacrifice ourselves and our reputation and our credibility for the sake of building relationship capital with the people around us. Because if we don't do that, we lose our influence with the people we surround ourselves with. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, as Phil mentioned, I mean, we see brokenness. If you watch the news for more than five seconds, it's easy to see the brokenness of our world. We can see the consequences of war, of terror, divisiveness. And if you think about it for too long, it can get pretty depressing to see what the world is like. And so, doesn't it make you hope or long for something better than this, for something more than what you see right now. I would love to say that as a church, we're way different than the rest of the world, that we live by a set of standards and that we're known by those. Because aren't we known, we're not known ever for being uh, politically polarizing. We're not known for being argumentative or stubborn or prideful. We don't believe in name-calling or finger-pointing We're not known for being judgmental. We've never been called hypocrites before. And we don't put expectations on people who don't know Jesus to act as though they do know Jesus. We never do that. We never expect people to behave before they've chosen to believe in God. Just ask anyone. Is that how we're viewed? I would love to say that we always lead with love, that we're humble, that we're peaceful. That's why the media portrays us so positively. I mean, when I tell people that I follow Jesus, their guards never go up. In fact, they trust me right away because they've only had positive experiences with other Christians. I would love to say that's true, but it's just not. And you all have probably experienced some of that. Now, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, or you're exploring your faith Or maybe uh, you do believe in Jesus, but you're looking for um, a place to call home, a church family. Or maybe you're part of the Clarity family. You've probably experienced this type of brokenness. You've experienced the things I just mentioned. mentioned, uh, I mentioned the judgment, the stubbornness, the name-calling, the divisiveness. I just want to say that I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry if that's what you've experienced from people, especially people who call themselves Christians. But as we just read, that's not how it should be. It's not what God has called us to do. Because I have friends that I grew up with in church. Knew them for years. Went to Sunday school with me. Spent a lot of time together as friends. And I would love to say that they're walking with the Lord, but they're not. And one of the biggest reasons they're not, it's not because of what Jesus said. It's not because of what Jesus said in scriptures that offended them. 
They were offended by what other people have said, either to them or about them, behind their backs. It's people that got in the way, not God. And my heart breaks for them because people should never get in the way of us being able to see who God really is. And so if that's you, that's not what the Jesus of the Bible has taught. It's not what he's called us to do. He taught what we just read. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, as we read this, we just need to clarify a few things. Jesus is not saying that peacemaking gets us into the family of God. We don't become Christians by our acts or good deeds. If that was the case, none of us could ever achieve that. None of us could ever reach heaven. Because our acts would just never be good enough. Even on our best days, we can't do it. If you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard this verse. Romans 3.23, Paul says, For everyone has sinned. Everyone means everyone. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And what is God's glorious standard? What does that mean? Well, it looks a lot like Jesus. It's perfection. He is our standard because he was perfect. And there are a lot of days where I don't look like Jesus. And I'm willing to bet that you don't look like him a lot either. None of us could ever achieve that on our own because we have this tendency towards sin. So let's be very clear. If it's not our works or our actions or our peacemaking that gets us into heaven, what is it? Well, it's this. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him, that is, Jesus, and accepted him, again, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So that's how we, that's how we enter into the family of faith. Galatians 3.26 also says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's recap here. We're not perfect, but that's God's uncompromising, glorious standard. So how do we reconcile this? How do we make peace between the fact that God has this perfect standard, but we're sinful? Lucky for us, peace was already made. Peace was made of the situation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died a death that we should have died as sinners. And we can be made perfect by putting our faith in a perfect Jesus. Like we just read, by believing and accepting him, he transfers his perfection to us. And more than that, he transfers his sonship to us. So we become the sons and daughters, children of God. So why does Jesus even mention peacemaking if that's not how we get into heaven, if that's not what makes us children of God? Well, I think it's easy. I think it's because he knows our hearts. He knows our sinful nature. He knows our tendencies. Like everything I mentioned before, he knows our tendency towards pride. He knows our desire to be right above all else, to pretend like we know everything. And he knows it's hard for us to deny ourselves for the sake of other people. And so he opens up his Sermon on the Mount with these Beatitudes to shock his disciples, to shock everyone who is listening, to show them that what they knew about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be a follower of God is different than anything you've ever seen, anything you've ever heard, anything you've ever been taught. And so he tells them, you are going to be known as children of God, children of the Most High God, not because you're always right, 
not because you're smart, you're gifted, or you're better than anyone else, but by the way that you work for peace in every circumstance with every person. And as peacemakers, you'll be known as the children of God because that is what your Father in heaven looks like. And so that brings us again to the good news. When Jesus was talking in Matthew 5, 9, he was being prophetic. He knew that through his death on the cross, which hadn't happened yet, but he knew it was going to come, that through his death on the cross, he was going to bring the ultimate peace of God and reconciliation to the world. So let's read together. We're going to go to Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live as Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, follower of God, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. presence excuse me, And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, it's in our nature, our sinful nature, to be at war. We've all experienced what it's like to be at war. Wars with our spouses, our family, friends, co-workers... We even have some guys in here who have been in literal wars with their lives on the line. And as important as all of that is, the greatest war that we were ever involved in, and you may not even know it, was between you and God. Because God's glorious standard is perfection, and we were incompatible with him. We were his enemies separated by our sins. Now, I don't have any kids, but I've seen other people's kids. And I work with kids. And I don't think there's any kids in this room, so I feel like I can say this. But kids are just the worst. (laughs) Not your kids. Your kids are great, but other people's kids. Kids in general. I'm ready to be a dad, right? (laughs) They fight. They're selfish. They're ungrateful. And uh, my parents are here, and they're probably saying amen right now. It's probably funny coming from me. But nobody had to teach kids to be that way. That's just in their nature. Those are the standard options that kids come with. In fact, you gotta, they got to learn how to be the opposite. They have to learn manners. They have to learn respect, to learn gratefulness, generosity, selflessness. That doesn't come naturally to kids. And the truth is, all of us are just God's big kids, and we're still learning how to do the same things that our Heavenly Father has tried to model for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have any of us, at any age, mastered this? Can you say that you've mastered respect? Can you say that you've mastered gratefulness, generosity, selflessness, saying I'm sorry, apologizing, admitting that we were wrong? All of us are a work in progress. All of us are in need of this because God did something for us that we could not do on our own. As we just read in Colossians, he reconciled everything to himself. God took the first step on our behalf. We couldn't take that first step. We were enemies of God. But God reconciled us to him through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He made peace between us and him 
by sending Jesus to die a death that we deserve. But when we put our faith in Jesus and what he's done, we become like him. He raises us up to meet his standard. He doesn't compromise his standard. He raises us up to meet his. And we become like him, holy, blameless, and faultless. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds a lot like peace. Being caught in my sinfulness and being raised up to the standard of God, that's eternal peace. That's the ultimate peace. There's one person you don't want to be the enemy of. It's God. You're never going to win that battle. I imagine that some of us might think we're, we're all that. We might think that we're this big truck. And then I just picture God coming in like a freight train and turning that truck into scrap metal. You think that's who you are, but you're never going to win that battle against God. But we don't need to, because God reconciled it for us. I don't think we tend to realize this about God. Maybe it's because the way we grew up, the churches that we've attended, our silly interpretations of Scripture sometimes. Uh, But we don't tend to realize this about God. But God is a peacemaker. In fact, he's the peacemaker, And he made peace with us by denying his rights. He laid down his pride, his entitlements as God. And again, he died this humiliating death of a criminal so that we could be at peace with him forever. So in light of who God is and what he's done for us, who are we? What do we do? Well, if we go back to our opening verse, we see that we're children of God who work for peace. Because he works for peace. And so, since he's a peacemaker, we are peacemakers. That's who we are in light of Christ. And so, we work towards bringing God's peace with us into every circumstance we find ourselves in, to every person that comes across our path, even to people who don't deserve it. Because, remember, as followers of Christ, there was a time where you weren't following Christ, and you didn't deserve it. You, too, were an enemy of God. But in his graciousness towards you, he sacrificed himself to bring us peace. So we know who we are, peacemakers. But what do we do, and how do we do it? Well, let's read what Jesus has to say about how we are to live. We read Matthew 5, 9, um, and now we're going to jump ahead to verse 43 in the same chapter. So Matthew 5, 43 to 45. Excuse me, one sec. All right. Verse 43. You've heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now isn't this amazing? We just asked how we can live as peacemakers, and then Jesus just answers us very literally a couple verses later. And so I think uh, when we see this, It's interesting what Jesus says, and it's also interesting what he doesn't say. He says, as children of God, we're expected to work for peace. The first step belongs to us. Because he took the first step, we take the first step when it comes to how we deal with others. It doesn't matter if the other person is wrong. It doesn't matter if they hate us or they're hostile or violent towards us. It doesn't matter if they're older than us, and they should do it because they're older. It's as if that didn't matter to God. It didn't matter to Jesus when he was saying these things. Our way of making peace is to show love and to pray for those who are at war with us. 
Because in doing so, we show them a reflection of our Father in heaven. And what is more attractive than that? I believe that when people have a real encounter with God, they're attracted to him when they get a chance to see who he really is. Because if you look through the gospel, Phil says this all the time, people who are not like Jesus liked Jesus when they got a chance to see who he really was. And I think the primary way that God has chosen to reach people who are far from him is through us, his church. 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20 says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Some translations say the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are always representing Christ. That's why he called us his ambassadors. For better or for worse, you're Christ's ambassador. But what Christ are you representing? What Christ are people seeing through your life? Is it the real Christ that we read about in scriptures? Or is the Christ that we show to people too clouded by our judgments, uh, the grudges that we hold, or the pride that we hold on to? And Jesus tells us to pray for our persecutors. And Jesus can say this with integrity, not just because he was God, but because he modeled it. As he was being nailed to a cross dying a death again that he didn't deserve. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he prayed those words as he's being killed. And Paul reiterates the words of Jesus in his letter to the Romans. He says in Romans 12, 14 through 18, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy, Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. When Paul says ordinary people, he means commoners, people that might even be below your status. Don't be too proud to hang out with them. And don't think you know it all. Isn't that funny that Paul says that? The same problem that they were dealing with then is the same problem that we're dealing with now. Isn't that what often gets in the way of us being able to make peace with the people around us? thinking that we know it all, being afraid to admit that we're wrong, it's the same. We haven't changed. He knows our tendencies. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, in some translations, depending on what you're reading, verse 18 says that as much as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now, we can't control what other people do or what they think. And sometimes, no matter what we do, we can do all the right things. People will refuse our kindness. And so, I just want to say this, because I think we need to hear it. Peace is not always possible. But we always have the opportunity to do what depends on us. And that is to work for peace, even if we don't achieve it. And that's why I think Jesus and Paul both say what they say. 
They tell us to pray and treat others with love and goodness. They never even mention the people that we might be at war with. Because to Jesus and Paul, it's as if what other people do to you is irrelevant. What they do shouldn't be a factor in what we do and how we're to live. So, not everyone comes to faith in Jesus. I think we know that. Not everyone calls Jesus Lord. And being God, do you think that he knew that would happen? Of course. He knew that people would not respond to his kindness and his peace. As well-intentioned, perfectly intentioned as Jesus is, some people just don't respond to his call. But Jesus, regardless, was obedient to his Father in heaven and sacrificed himself anyways. So if people don't respond to the love of Christ, we can expect that our love will not always be well received. But that's okay. Because God doesn't call us to be peace-achieving, just working for peace, peace peace-making. He doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Faithful meaning continuing to do it, even if we don't feel like it. Because when this life is over and we stand before God, he's, going to say, he's not going to say to us, well done, my good and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, my good, faithful servant. However, when people do respond, we get the opportunity to show them who God really is. They get to see a God of love, of peace, of grace. We show them something countercultural, something that they may have never seen before, and something that they didn't even know that they were looking for. That's what's at stake. Like we mentioned before, it's people. People are at stake. We make peace because people are what's most important. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation because people are important. And by showing peace, we show them the God that they were created to know. But here's the catch. Showing peace is not something that we're capable of doing. Because if I was being nailed to a cross, just being honest, I would not pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That would not be a a thought in my mind at all. That wouldn't come across my mind. I'd be too concerned with my own well-being at that point to ever consider praying for someone who is killing me. But... That's kind of Jesus' glorious standard. That's the perfection part. That's what we're called to. That's us being obedient. And that's why I said that Jesus could say that with integrity because he was obedient unto the point of death. So if this is Jesus' glorious standard that God holds us to, and we are destined to fall, we're destined to fail, what do we do? How do we obey Luckily, uh, Jesus didn't leave us, his disciples, on our own. He sent us a helper to guide us, to teach us, to comfort us, to give us the power to be his witnesses. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, a portable guy that we can take anywhere, living within us, to help us do the things we're incapable of doing on our own. Apart from God, it's impossible for Jeff to work for peace in all circumstances with all people. But as we read in Acts 1, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers me to be his witness in every context. 
In the moments, in the heat of the moment, when we are tempted to raise our voices, to give in to our pride and egos, to dig our heels in, to claim our entitlements of being right, to look down on others because we know it all, to keep our distance from someone because of a silly grudge, if in those moments we can just stop, we can take a moment to pray and to submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives and ask him for the power to overcome those things and work for peace and reconciliation. He will be able to do in us the things that we are unable to do for ourselves. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't this what we're called to do? To submit all of our lives, increasingly submit all of our lives to God. He is God. He began a work in you when you came to faith in God. And he will bring his work He's jealous for his work. He's more concerned about his work than you than you are. And he will bring it to completion by the power of the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying you or making you holy like God. It doesn't happen in an instant. It happens through the course of time as we increasingly submit and obey God in every aspect of our lives. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, the things of God start to come out of us. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is what our lives look like when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. These are things that just naturally come out as we're filled, as we submit our lives to Him. Now contrast this with what I said earlier How amazing would it be if this is what the world knew us by? What if this was the way that we were portrayed and viewed in the media? What if this was our reputation? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if that was our calling card? But I don't think we can live this life by our own strength. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit is in us and he's available to us. Now, if you remember anything from what I shared today, remember this, that God is a peacemaker. Therefore, he wants us to live as peacemakers so that the world can see what God is really like. And when the world can see who God really is, they're drawn to him. Because again, as we look through scripture, people who are not like Jesus, like Jesus. So this could be you. This could be me. This could be what we as the church are known for. Now, this can start right now for us. So is there someone that you need to make peace with today? It could be as simple as apologizing to your spouse or a parent, your kids, whoever, somebody in your family. It could just be a simple apology. That's all it could take. Or maybe you have a more complicated situation with a family member or a friend. And it's going to take a series of conversations before you can make peace and have reconciliation with one another. Or maybe you need to do some introspection. You need to look inside yourself and reevaluate your tough guy or tough girl mentality and realize that the way you talk and the way that you conduct yourself affects the people around you and prevents you from being a peacemaker. 
Are you the kind of person that believes in building walls of division or ivory towers of pride and being right? Or are you the type of person that wants to build bridges for peace? Maybe you're sitting here and you're not sure what to believe. Um, You've been wronged by church people who have not acted this way, who have not acted as peacemakers. And you've been turned off to faith altogether, but for whatever reason, you find yourself in this room listening, or maybe you're listening online, and you're asking yourself some questions. Maybe for you, the reconciliation you need is between you and God. And maybe your next step might be asking people like us more questions about God and who he really is. Or maybe you're ready. You're ready to make peace with God. And you're ready to pray and receive and believe in what God has done in your life. Now, whoever you are, whatever your next step is, would you just take a moment, this moment, to ask the Holy Spirit what it is that you need to do and for his power to do it. And then ask him again later, and then ask him again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to empower you to do these things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to close, and so we're going to pray together.